So, I have been teaching for the last, I think, three sermons now on the subject of hell. No, two sermons on the subject of hell. This will be the third one. The reason that I began to do this was because going through the Sermon on the Mount, I ran into Matthew 5.22, Matthew 5.29, and Matthew 5, verse 30, where the word hell is used, hell fire, one time in verse 22. And in all three cases, the word Gehenna is there. So, I remember the first time I looked at the Sermon on the Mount, I was like, what is this Gehenna? Now I'm preaching read through the Sermon on the Mount, and I wanted to talk about it again. I'm going in a little bit different direction today, because we're going to talk about another aspect of the word hell in the New Testament portion, and in the Old Testament portion of the King James Bible. And I have some older sermons that I'm actually going to keep up on my site that go into detail about Matthew 25 where it says that hell was prepared, Gehenna was prepared for the devil and his angels. I'm not going to reteach that, so if you're interested in that, that perks your attention. You can go back and listen to a sermon I taught on that. And then I also have a sermon about smoke, torment, and the uh, example of Yeshua taking the punishment of sin upon himself for us. And we know that the punishment that Yeshua took upon Himself was not eternal conscious torment, but punishment that culminated in death. And if we believe in Yeshua as the Messiah, the promised Messiah, only begotten Son of Yahweh, we will not have to undergo that punishment and that death on the eternal scheme. Praise Yahweh will have eternal life. So, life in the age to come. So today, I'm going to talk about what happens to us when we die, what I believe that the Bible teaches on this. And I was raised believing in the traditional concept of when a person dies, they either go up to heaven to be with the Lord, or they go to the bad place, what we call hell, where Satan is in control, he's got his pitchfork, and he's tormenting people in flames of fire. So, as with my re-examination of final judgment in Gehenna, Matthew 5.22, I began to, at a young age, question everything. There were many things, I would probably say most things, that I was taught I continued to believe in because they were very basic, fundamental truths of the biblical faith, the Christian faith. Um, But there's a lot of things that I was taught that I no longer believe in or that I now disagree with. So, I've tried over the years to begin all my studies by asking where in Scripture are the things that I believe. If I can't find them in Scripture, I want to let go of them and believe now what the Scripture says. I don't usually talk about this subject when I go to a funeral. And that is because this this doctrine of people going to heaven when they die or going to hell when they die, we don't really think about that part of it. I'll talk about that momentarily. Is so ingrained in people, and a lot of times we approach this subject from an emotional standpoint, an emotional point of view rather than a biblical point of view. I don't think that you have to believe what I'm going to preach tonight in order to have salvation, but I do believe that it's important that we speak Yahweh's truth on all matters and on all doctrines. It's very important. So, I'm not here, as with all sermons, I'm never here to make any of you think like I do. That's not my job as a pastor. My job is to work out your spiritual muscles. I do believe that we need to agree on the essentials of the faith. Faith in Yahweh, faith in His Son, faith in keeping the commandments, 
But there's many doctrines in the Bible that we can disagree on and still be good brothers and sisters in the faith. So, we don't want to rush to find something that backs up what we already believe. I told someone recently that I felt that they were beginning with their conclusion. They were starting with what they wanted to believe and then rushing to the Bible to try to find a verse to back up what they thought. I don't think that's the way to do this. The way with any doctrine is to try to wipe the slate clean and believe what the Scripture says. So, let me talk about what I believe now before I get into the Bible. What I believe now, based upon my studies of Scriptures, oh, probably good 10-15 years ago and then more so as I've continued to grow in the faith, is that when people die, whether they are in the Messiah or outside of the Messiah, whether they're righteous or wicked, whether they're good or whether they're bad, that they sleep in the grave until the resurrection when Yeshua returns. In the grave there is no pain, there's no activity, there's no planning. They sleep, it's a peaceful sleep. And the first thought, I remember when somebody told me this for the first time, the first thought that I had when somebody told me this was I was a little bit sad because I had righteous loved ones that I was taught died and went to heaven to be with the Lord. Um, But the Bible does not teach that our blessed hope, the hope that we have as Christians, is to be disembodied as a what people call a soul or a spirit and in heaven. The Bible teaches us that our hope, our blessed hope, is to be resurrected to an immortal body and live on a renewed earth. Just like Yeshua was resurrected. He died, was dead for about three days, and He resurrected to immortality. His body still looked the same. There was a purpose behind this, but he even had the scars in his hands so that Thomas could look up, look upon them and believe that he was really risen from the dead. So that's our blessed hope, that we will be resurrected out of the tomb or the grave just like Yeshua, Yahweh's Son, was resurrected. And he's the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. And then we'll be resurrected, if we're in him, to immortality, to live forever on a renewed earth and renewed heaven uh, with Yahweh and His Son where everything will be a paradise. It will be the best place that you could ever imagine and then it's even better than that. The new heavens and the new earth. However, after I was a little bit sad about that, I began to think about this in relation to my loved ones who had died who were not righteous or who I wondered about their state of salvation upon death. And this doctrine made sadness leave me because if what I'm saying is accurate, biblically accurate, that people fall asleep, peacefully sleep when they die, then even my loved ones that were not righteous or that I wondered about their state of salvation, they were not burning in torment for the last 100, 50, 20 years. Um, So, I don't like to think about this, but I have loved ones in my family that have died that probably were not where they needed to be with the Creator. Now, ultimately, that's not for me to decide. Ultimately, that's Yahweh's job. But if this doctrine be accurate, it gives me a little bit of peace to realize that Yahweh is not a mighty one of torture (laughs) and that He is allowing them, even the wicked, peaceful sleep. 
And uh, that's really what this doctrine and the doctrine that I've been talking about, the biblical accurate doctrine of annihilationism, really shows forth the character of Yahweh, that Yahweh really is love. He's a mighty one of justice. He has to punish wickedness. But He really is love. He doesn't torture people for all eternity, even if they're wicked and didn't believe in Him. So, with this view, people are not burning in torment right now, but they're resting in peace, along with the righteous. They're resting in peace as well. So, what does the Bible have to say? Well, one of the first verses that I ever saw in relation to this was Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. I'm using the King James Version tonight because it's a more literal translation. And there's a lot of words in here that I want to point out. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. The word grave here is the Hebrew word sheol. Sheol. Sheol is used... Over 60 times in the Old Testament. Sometimes, about half the time, it's translated grave. The other half, 31 times, it's translated as hell. H-E-L-L. So a lot of times, we're going to talk about one place that where it's translated as hell that a lot of people that are King James onlyists have gotten bad doctrine from. This brother and I talked about the King James Only movement a couple of Sabbaths ago. And we're going to talk about one of those uh, in this lesson. But the context of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 7 through 10 is this Enjoy the life that you've been given. The author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, basically is saying that within the confines of Yahweh's law, as long as activities are lawful, you should enjoy life. Have fun. Eat, drink, dress up, put on perfume, have a good time with your spouse etc. The contemporary English version says here in verse 10, work hard at whatever you do because you will soon go to the world of the dead where no one works or thinks or reasons or knows anything. So we read Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 and we might think, well, is this just for the righteous or is this also for the wicked? Look at this next verse, just a few verses back in Ecclesiastes 9 verses 2 through 6. It says, all things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner. As he that sweareth, as he that feareth an oath. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all, Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished Neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Ecclesiastes 9 verses 2 through 6 shows us that the same fate comes to the righteous and to the wicked. One event, death, applies to both. Verse 2. There is hope for the living. Verse 4. But a living dog 
is better when it's compared to a dead lion. Now, obviously, if the lion is living, he's called the king of the jungle. A lion is definitely more ferocious and has more strength than a dog. But if the lion is dead, a living dog is better than that. The living know that they will die, but the dead know not anything. Verse 5. So Ecclesiastes 9 teaches us that when we die, whether we are righteous or whether we are wicked, that there is no activity in Sheol or in the grave where we go. Two verses that I found that aligned with Ecclesiastes 9 when I was first studying this subject. The first of it is Daniel 12 verse 2. Daniel 12 verse 2 is what I like to call a refrigerator verse. It's a verse that you need to keep in mind because it teaches us so much in one little sentence. Put it on your refrigerator, learn it, memorize it, know it. Daniel 12 verse 2 says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So this tells us that the dead are asleep. It tells us where they're asleep, in the dust of the earth. And it tells us that there will come a time when they will awake. Awake refers to being resurrected. Some of them will resurrect to everlasting life or life in the age to come. Others will resurrect to everlasting contempt. And this is one of the verses that leads me away from the doctrine of universal reconciliation where some people teach that everybody will eventually be saved. doesn't make a lot of sense when you read these verses because if the life is everlasting for the righteous that awake, that are resurrected, then the contempt has to be everlasting. It's the same. It's a comparison. So as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. So the death, that, that second death that the wicked receive as their final judgment has to be everlasting, just like the life is, is everlasting. Then Yeshua must have known this verse because Yeshua alluded to this verse in John 5.28-29. through 29 where he said this, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. This is Yeshua the Messiah speaking. He's talking about people that are in the graves. It's the same thing as Daniel 12.2 that sleep in the dust of the earth. He says they will hear His voice and come forth. That means they will awake or be resurrected. Some of them will awake to life. Others to damnation. Here we have everlasting life, everlasting contempt. My studies on this subject began many moons ago by listening to a man that I sat up under as a disciple. His name is Arnold Bowen. He's my father-in-law. I love him. He is a great man of Yahweh. I have heard a lot of things about him from people that do not know him, but I know him personally. And most of what he taught me when I was a lot younger, even as a teenager, I still believe today. I remember this past week when I was working how that he used to do his septic tank jobs on this big Caterpillar backhoe that had a front end loader. He didn't use track hoes, didn't use Kubota track hoes like he does now. But he used them big caterpillars. And whenever he would cover up the septic tank job, I would sit on the wheel cover and hold on to the bar, and he would teach me certain subjects about the Bible. I'll never forget that. It came back to my memory very vividly this past week. I'm going to be talking about something he asked me in a future sermon not too far away from 
now, Yahweh's will. But this is the first person that introduced me to what I'm about to show you. And this, what I'm about to show you, is how my study began on what happens when we die. Because Brother Arnold asked me, did the Messiah go to hell when he died? Now, his question was a little tongue-in-cheek. In other words, he was trying to be a little funny, maybe sarcastic. But he got me to thinking, and back when I was 17, 18, 19, 20, didn't know nearly as much as I know now, hadn't studied the Bible as much as I have now. So, Brother Arnold told me about a gentleman that had died. And he went to the funeral. And I think this was right after I had gotten married, if I'm not mistaken. Back in early 1998. And he told me that when he was at the funeral, he discussed where are the dead with a preacher that was there. So, whereas I normally make it a point not to talk about these kind of things at funerals, (laughs) my father-in-law likes to talk about these kind of things. At least he talked about it with the preacher and not with the family. So, Brother Arnold brought up Acts chapter 2 with this preacher about King David. And we begin in Acts 2 verse 27 where the Apostle Peter is speaking... Let me give you a little bit of background here. Peter's point here in Acts 2 is that he's talking about how that Yeshua had been crucified and then raised from the dead. And then Peter goes back to this psalm, Psalm 16, beginning at verse 11. And he quotes a psalm where David is speaking. King David is speaking. And then Peter begins to bring us some commentary on that psalm and tell us that even though David was the speaker, and it sounds like David was talking about himself, David actually wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about someone that would be his descendant, someone that would come from his progeny. Yeshua is from the lineage of David, if we read in Luke chapter 1, and in Matthew chapter 1, and Luke chapter 3 as well. So, in verse 27, Peter is quoting Psalm 16, And this is David talking. And David says, Because thou will not leave my soul in hell, KJV here, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. And in verse 29, Peter stops the quotation from Psalms and picks it up in his commentary. And he speaks there to the men of Israel that day on the day of Pentecost. And he says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch, that means like a high father over a family, David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher, which is a fancy word for tomb, is with us unto this day. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on the throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So Brother Arnold brought up to this man, and then to me that day, on the caterpillar backhoe, that David was dead and buried, and Peter and the others knew where David's tomb or sepulcher was on the day of Pentecost, hundreds of years after David had, had died. Not only verse 29 says that David's dead and buried, but verse 34, if you continue to read, says, For David is not ascended into the heavens. This is Peter talking. 
And so I remember when Brother Arnold told me this, and I was reading the Bible, and I thought, well, if David didn't go up to heaven, that's what the word ascended means, David did not go up to heaven. If David wasn't up in heaven, and he was dead and buried, then why did I believe that when people died, they immediately went up to heaven? Well, someone told me that when the Old Testament saints died, they didn't go to heaven. But once the Messiah died and was resurrected, He opened up that portal, so to speak, and all of them were able to go to heaven. Well, someone told me that, and it happened so often. When I was a disciple of my father-in-law, Brother Arnold, which there's nothing wrong with being a disciple of a teacher. It's all through the Scriptures. There were many rabbis. Yeshua was one of hundreds of rabbis in the first century, and they all had disciples or pupils up under them so that they could teach and learn the Scriptures. So there's nothing wrong with listening to a man teach you the Scriptures. It's all through the Bible where that was done. What happened was, I would hear things from other teachers, and then I would listen to the man that I was sitting up under the most, my father-in-law, and it seemed like my father-in-law would always back up what he was telling me with Bible verses. Then I would go to these other preachers, and there would be no Bible verses. It would be a lot of emotion, a lot of experience, a lot of look at what we've done, but not a lot of Bible. And so I made the decision a long time ago. I said, well, I'm going to stick with the one that has the Bible verses to back up what they say and what they believe. So when somebody told me, well, the Old Testament saints died, and yeah, they went to sleep, but once Yeshua resurrected, the portal was opened up and they went to heaven, I thought, well, why then... Here in Acts chapter 2, at least 50, I believe about 100 days after Yeshua was raised from the dead, Peter's preaching and David still hasn't went up to heaven. David has not ascended into the heavens. His tomb, we all know where it's at. He's dead and he's buried. And this was after Yeshua rose from the dead. Peter's point was that David was somewhere that Yeshua was not and that Yeshua was somewhere that David was not at that current time. Now, I want you to notice the use of hell in the KJV at verse 27 and verse 31. Verse 27, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Verse 31, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. Now, based on the KJV, if we don't know any better, we might think that when Yeshua died that He went to hell, and hell in our minds is the bad place. As a matter of fact, I know some King James-only preachers that teach that when Jesus died, He spent three days burning in hell. And they base that doctrine on the King James Version here in Acts chapter 2, that His soul wasn't left in hell, but He did go down to hell when He died. The problem here is, is that this Greek word for hell here, upon which the KJV translation is based on the Greek text of the New Testament, is not the word Gehenna, but is another Greek word, Hades. And Hades is the word that is commonly used in Greek for the tomb or the grave or death. So when David says, speaking about in prophecy of the Messiah, because thou will not leave my soul in hell... What it means is Yeshua's soul was not left in the grave. He was not left dead. What happened to him? We know the story. Yahweh raised him from the dead on the third day, victorious over death and the grave. Victorious over that.
So we might get the wrong idea if we only stick with one English translation of the Bible, which you should always use multiple English translations of the Bible, and we have so many good study material and tools at our grasp nowadays to look up Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek words, so you should do that as well. So David, according to the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, David is not in heaven. He's dead and he's buried, and Peter knew where the tomb was. But Yeshua, his body was not left in hell. He didn't see corruption or decay. His flesh didn't start to rot. Yahweh raised him from the dead on the third day. As a matter of fact, I believe Yeshua was only dead for probably 30 to 36 tops hours. So he didn't even have time to start rotting. And Yahweh raised him from the dead. And then his new body was a body that was immortal, heavenly, celestial, never to die anymore. His old body was one that was corruptible, mortal, able to die. Promise of the resurrection. Yahweh raising Yeshua from the dead, this is very exciting to me, shows us, brothers and sisters, Yahweh raising Yeshua from the dead shows us that death is not the end. It's not the end. If we ever think that it might be, think about what Yahweh did for Yeshua. How He raised Him from the dead is exactly what's going to happen in the future. Those that have died in Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, will also be raised from the dead with a body that is heavenly, immortal, not corruptible, never to die again, and they'll live forever. A thousand years goes by and we're just getting started. Then another thousand years. Then another thousand years and we're still just getting started. And we're eating the best avocados we've ever eaten. And we're eating the best grapes we've ever eaten. And we're drinking the best wine we've ever put to our lips. This is the kingdom of Yahweh that we have a promise for. And the hair standing up on my arms when I talk about it. This is the good news of the kingdom that Yeshua came to preach. Hallelujah. So, what does the Old Testament say about David's death? 2 Samuel 7, verse 8a and verse 12. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. 2 Samuel 7 here is the prophet Nathan relaying a word from Yahweh to David, the king. He is told that there will come a time when his days will be fulfilled, they'll be over, and he'll sleep with his fathers. That sounds like Ecclesiastes 9, Daniel 12, 2, and John 5, 28-29, that we go to sleep. In 1 Kings 1, 21, Bathsheba speaks to David when he's old. And Bathsheba says, Otherwise it shall come to pass, when my lord the king shall sleep with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. Then we have 1 Kings 2, verse, verses 1-2 through 2 and verse 10 that actually give us an account of David's death. And it says, Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong therefore, and show thyself a man. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. So when it says he was to die, he goes the way of all the earth. Remember Ecclesiastes 9? One event planned for the righteous and the wicked, that's death. He slept with his fathers, Daniel 12, 2, sleep in the dust of the earth. Again, this doesn't go along with the view, the common view, the traditional view that righteous people go to heaven when they die. But this, I believe, is the more biblical or scriptural view of what happens when people die. 
This next slide is Acts 13, 32-37, where Paul, the apostle, mentions David in a sermon that he stands up and teaches at a synagogue. Let's read it. Acts 13, 32-37. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that He hath raised up Yeshua again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that He raised Him up from the dead... Now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And then notice Paul mentions David. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. So here again we see the difference between King David and our elder brother Yeshua. Yeshua didn't see corruption. He was raised from the dead. David fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. Again, King David, one of the most righteous men and most talked about men in Scripture, did not go to heaven when he died. David is not up in heaven right now. David is asleep in the dust of the earth. Now, I want you to notice also the same is said of other men when they died. For instance, in Deuteronomy 31, 16 and 34, verse 5, the Scripture says, And Yahweh said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. So Moses, the servant of Yahweh, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of Yahweh. Moses was told by Yahweh that he would sleep with his fathers, and this happened when he died. Moses is another major righteous man in Scripture, one of the most righteous men in Scripture. As a matter of fact, there are approximately 40 places in Scripture where the language of sleeping or resting with one's fathers, one's ancestors, is used of death. And it's used this way of both righteous men and unrighteous men. Many times in First and Second Kings and also Second Chronicles, this phraseology is used. Look at Genesis 47, verse 30. And also chapter 49, verses 29 and 33. This is the patriarch Jacob, I believe, speaking. He says, But I will lie down with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed, yielded up the ghost, and was gathered to his people. I want you to notice, Genesis 47 verse 30 connects being gathered unto his people with being buried in the cave where his fathers or his ancestors were buried. Once again, he says, I am to be gathered unto my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave. So the gathering unto the people means that he wants to be buried in the same burial plot or tomb, family tomb, where his ancestors are. And that was very common back then. A lot of times, even after a person would die and their body would decay, people would go back into the tomb, disassemble the bones of their Hebrew ancestor, and then place their bones in this box. You may have heard it called an ossuary. And then that box would be placed in a family tomb, and their name would be on the outside of that box. 
they would want to be gathered with their people there sleeping. In Genesis 47, Jacob, it says, he yielded up the ghost. What does it mean to yield up the ghost? That's old King James talk. Um, But I want to stick with the King James because of the literal usage here. Look at these texts about yielding up the ghost. Genesis 25, 8. This is Abraham. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says instead of gave up the ghost, it says he took his last breath and he died. Genesis 35.29 And Isaac gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Job 14.10 and 12 says, But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? So man lieth down and riseth not, till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. Psalm 104, verse 29. Thou hidest thy face, speaking of Yahweh's face, they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath. They die and return to the dust. That word die there that I've got underlined, that's the same Hebrew word, gavah, as when it says gave up the ghost or yielded up the ghost. Same Hebrew word, gavah, in both instances. So dying is equated with Yahweh here in Psalm 104, taking away the breath of life, and a person returning to the dust of the earth. Again, think about Daniel 12, verse 2. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake at the resurrection time. I want to look now at the makeup of man. In Genesis 2, verse 7, we find it's very simple. I don't know why it's not taught more often. But the makeup of man is here in Genesis 2, verse 7 where it reads simply, And Yahweh Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want you to notice here that the Bible doesn't teach that man has a soul, but that man is a soul. We tend to view the soul as something that we possess and then that leaves us upon death. Like our body is dead, but our soul goes on and floats up to heaven and is conscious. That's how we tend to view a soul. But Genesis 2-7 doesn't teach that we have a soul, but that we are a soul. So I want you to think about Yahweh forming that first man, Adam, Adam, out of the dust of the ground. He forms him. Fingers, nose, eyes, out of the clay. And then Adam is laying there and he's lifeless. And then Yahweh breathes. And breath in the Old Testament and the New Testament often is the exact same word as spirit or wind. You see the word spirit, wind, and breath in the Old Testament? A lot of times it's the Hebrew word ruach. It's used for all three. It's the same thing in the New Testament. Spirit, breath, and wind in the Greek New Testament is the word pneuma. You might think of a pneumatic drill, an air-powered drill, right? Pneumatic means it's air-powered. Pneuma is the word for air or breath. So Yahweh leans down, so to speak, breathes into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, Yahweh's Spirit, and Adam all of a sudden is animated. Now he can see, hear, he can taste, he can talk, he can smell with his nose, he can move his arms, he can walk around. Can you imagine him moving around there the first time? Now he's animated. That's how man was created. 
And so the parts and what they equal are very easy. It's an easy equation to remember when you're talking or discussing with people about this subject is that Genesis 2 verse 7 teaches us that dust of earth plus breath of life equals a living soul. This is how man was created. And of course we know Eve was a little bit different because Yahweh formed Eve out of part of Adam. Whether it was one rib, his whole side, rib cage, like Brother TJ said he believed, which is possible. Some people think that it means just parts of Adam's, uh, part of Adam's DNA. But Eve was formed out of Adam. So, if this is how man was created, then what happens when Adam died? Not, not where did Adam's soul go or Adam's spirit go. I want to know what happened to Adam when he died. What happened to Adam as a person? Well, Genesis 3.19, Yahweh says to Adam, For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So, if dust of the earth plus breath of life equals a living soul, then when the breath of life is removed from Adam's body, he goes back, eventually, to the dust from which he came. He goes from being a living soul to a dead soul or a lifeless body. Ecclesiastes 3 Verses 18 through 21 talks about this. It's not very complimentary to us as humans, but this is what Scripture says. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go into one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth? Both man and beast have breath, both of them die, both go to one place, back to the dust of the earth. Verse 21 poses a question concerning the spirit of man versus the spirit of the beast. Now this should not be viewed as a separate consciousness, but simply as the breath of life, the spirit of life that Yahweh breathed into Adam's nostrils and that we all have as Adam's progeny. The question in verse 21 is answered in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7 says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God or the Almighty who gave it. So, when Adam died, or when we die, that breath of life that was in us leaves, it's not a separate consciousness, but it leaves and it returns back to the Almighty that gave it to us, and then the body goes back, it sleeps there in the dust of the earth, awaiting the day of resurrection. I want to go over some various scriptures about death here. I want to start with Job 7 verse 21. Here are six verses concerning death that teach there is no activity there. Job 7 21, For now shall I sleep in the dust, and thou shalt seek me in the morning, but I shall not be. Psalm 6 verses 4 through 5, Return, O Yahweh, deliver my soul, O save me for thy, for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee, in the grave, who shall give thee thanks? Psalm 30, verse 9. 
What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Psalm 88 verse 10, Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Isaiah 38, 18-19, King Hezekiah, thanking Yahweh after Yahweh gave him 15 more years. He says, For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for the truth, for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee, as I do this day. And then Psalm 115, verse 17, The dead praise not Yahweh, neither any that go down into silence. As I begin to close this sermon, I want to look lastly to John 11, 11 through 14, when Yeshua raised Lazarus from the dead. John 11, 11 through 14 says this, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. This is Yeshua speaking. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. So we see that Yeshua was very familiar with the terminology in the Old Testament that death equaled sleep. But then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Yeshua spake of his death. So the disciples thought they were talking about natural sleep. Well, it says it, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then Yeshua unto them plainly said, Lazarus is dead. So the disciples thought, well, he's just taking a nap. He's okay. But Yeshua was talking about the sleep of death. Um, It's kind of like me and Morgan were talking about this the other day where the disciples came back there at the um, scene with the woman at the well in John 4. And they told him something about food. And Yeshua said, I have food that you know not of. And they're like, what's he talking about? We've got the food right here. But Yeshua often would speak spiritually. There's one case where he told his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they said, why is he telling us to beware about the Pharisees' bread? But Yeshua was talking about their doctrine, which was hypocrisy. So he's speaking spiritually. So here's kind of a spiritual speak. He's talking about the sleep of death. But the disciples mistake him uh, for saying that Lazarus has taken a nap. This reminds me, uh, the sleep of death also reminds me of John 5, 28 through 29, where it says that all are in the graves shall hear his voice and come forth. Now, if you continue to read in John 11, what did Yeshua say to Lazarus before he came out of the tomb? Lazarus, come forth. And so, by the power of Yahweh, because Yeshua prayed and thanked the Father before he performed that miracle, Lazarus comes out and he's got all the grave clothes on him and everything, and he's alive. And he'd been dead for four days. His sister said his body was even stinking by that time because he'd been in the tomb for four days. This reminds me of Psalm 13, verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Yahweh, my Elohim. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, I want you to think about this. If Lazarus died and went to heaven to be with Yahweh, then when Yeshua raised him from the dead, he brought Lazarus out of heaven. Now, when I was a little kid, I remember all the funerals that I would go to the preacher would always say, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so is looking down on us from heaven like they could see all the turmoil that was going on in the world. 
but yet they would say, if they could come back, they wouldn't want to because now they have it perfect. Well, if Yeshua raised Lazarus from the dead and he'd been in heaven with Yahweh, Lazarus, the first thing he would say to Yeshua is, what are you doing? I've been up in heaven. I don't want to come back. But because he wasn't in heaven, he was probably ecstatic. I get to live again. Now recognize, Lazarus was not raised to immortality. Lazarus was not raised like Yeshua was to that second body. Lazarus was just raised from the dead kind of like people sometimes in the Old Testament were raised from the dead. Or like Eutychus was raised from the dead in Acts chapter 20 where they found him dead. Because he was, Paul was discussing the Scriptures and Eutychus fell out of the window because he, he got tired. So they were raised back to mortality, but they continued their life on this earth. So Lazarus would die again. And then, I believe, at the second coming, Lazarus will then raise to eternal life, life in the age to come, and he'll have an immortal body. Now, look at what Martha, Lazarus' sister, says. This is when Yeshua had came to the scene knew that Lazarus was dead. He knew what he was going to do. Nobody else really knew what was going to happen. And then Martha said unto Yeshua, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God or of Yahweh, Yahweh will give it to thee. And Yeshua saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Now, I think that Yeshua was talking about, I'm fixing to raise your brother from the dead. But Martha believed in the resurrection. Now, Yeshua had not even been raised from the dead yet. This is before His death, burial, and resurrection. But Martha knew Old Testament Scriptures and also what we now call intertestamental or apocryphal writings that speak of the resurrection of the dead. For instance, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 37 talks about resurrection. And then there's a case in 2 Maccabees. Remember the mama who watched, I think it was her seven sons, be tortured because they wouldn't eat swine's flesh. And one of them said, you can cut my hands off, I don't care. I know that the Almighty will give me two new hands. It is because the Hebrews believed in resurrection. This is one of the reasons why Hebrew people would, were always very careful with the bones of their deceased loved ones. Remember what Joseph said? He said, after I die, he said, and y'all leave this place, leave Egypt. He said, don't forget to take my bones with you. I think my wife and I read in the book of Joshua where they buried Joseph's bones or somebody's bones, maybe in Jacob's bones, somewhere there in Canaan land that Yahweh had given them. I have to go back and look at that. I can't remember it right offhand. But Yeshua said to her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha, in Martha's mind, she's not thinking that her brother is in heaven. She's thinking he's where? Sleeping in the dust of the earth. He's been dead for four days. And when Yeshua says, You'll rise, he'll, uh, he, your brother's going to rise again, um, Martha's thinking, okay, I know that. At the resurrection, at the last day. Not each when each person dies, but at the last day, at the general resurrection. But of course, we know that Yeshua said, Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus came out of the tomb. You can read that in John chapter 11. What we've learned, let me cover some of these points briefly as I close. 
And this is only some of what we've learned. There's so much more, but I'm only going to preach one sermon on this subject. There is so much more, but this should get anybody started in your studies if you want to do this research. Um, next week, I'm going to teach one more lesson on hell. Not on this particular aspect of it. I'm going to teach one more lesson, and then I'm going to move on to the next subject in the Sermon on the Mount um, concerning divorce and remarriage. But what we've learned today is eight points that I summarized. One, there's no work or activity in Sheol or the grave, or the Greek is Hades. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10. Two, death is sleep from which we must be woke up. Daniel 12 verse 2. Three, King David didn't go to heaven when he died. Acts 2, 29 through 34. Four, slept or rested with his fathers is used approximately 40 times in Scripture of men dying. Five, death is called sleep approximately 60 times in Scripture, some of which are even in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, Acts chapter 7, when Brother Stephen, the first Christian martyr, when he was stoned to death for Yeshua and his cause, it is said that he fell asleep and he gave up the spirit of life or the breath of life. Um. Number six, dust of the earth plus breath of life equals a living soul. Genesis 2 verse 7. And then when Adam died, that breath of life left him and then he was, he was a dead body or a dead soul sleeping in the dust of the earth awaiting the resurrection of the righteous in Adam's case. Seven, breath of life equals the spirit that leaves upon death. Psalm 104.29 and Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7. And last but not least, number eight, Yeshua raised Lazarus from death. He did not bring him back from heaven. So, this will give you uh, the opportunity to take these notes. If, if anybody would like my notes, I can send them to you through email. And you can go back over these scriptures in your own time. And you can decide what you want to believe that the Bible teaches. I want to encourage you though, anything that you choose to believe, whether on this subject or another one, make sure that you can back up that belief with the Bible. Um, a lot of times we believe things based on other reasons, but we want to make sure we back up our beliefs with, with Holy Scripture.